When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Everything is Black and White podcast. This is our latest documentary, Newcastle United, a season without fans. It's been more than 12 months since Newcastle United fans attended a home game that was back on the 29th of February 2020 as United drew 0-0 with Burnley. That day, more than 52,000 people packed out St James's Park and no one could foresee what was to come next. That COVID-19 was to hit, lockdown would begin and football fans would be locked out of stadiums ever since. The loss of a match day has impacted people and the community much more than you might realise. From mental health to businesses, the effect has been huge. In this episode, we'll bring you those stories from the season ticket holders to the pub landlords and many, many others as we look back on Newcastle United, the season in lockdown. Lascelles, Fernandez, and Rose at the back. Hayden and Shelby in midfield. Richie, Almiron, Joel Linton, and Gale. The coin toss ended up with Newcastle having to switch ends, and they're going to kick down the hill in the first half, which is not what they like to do. Well, listening back, it just sounds normal, doesn't it? This is Matthew Raisbeck. I'm the Newcastle United commentator for BBC Radio Newcastle. Referee's blown the final whistle. It's finished. Nil-nil, some boos there, but I think they're more for the fact they didn't get a free kick there. Some applause from fans. It's finished level, it's finished nil-nil again at St James's Park. The noise from the crowd, the anticipation up to kick-off. And radio is about sounds. And on a football commentary, there are so many sounds that you'll hear at a match, whether it is um, the noise from the pitch, kicking of a ball, the ball clattering against the woodwork, obviously the fans, you might hear individual voices near you, you'll hear the crowd as a whole. Um, And when you hear that and then you listen to football commentary from the last year or last nine months, I mean, the difference is is so huge and it really gives you a sense of what you're missing. So when we listen back to that Burnley game, the build-up to kick-off and all the excitement that we felt ahead of a game that finished nil-nil, unfortunately. It just takes you back to what Premier League football, what Newcastle United, what St James's Park is and what it always should be. And it's just serving as another reminder of what we've missed so badly since football resumed in June. Palamine pointed out it had been a year since we'd been to the football. My name's Liz Luff and I've been a season ticket holder at Newcastle since 2005. Thinking, I mean, there's, there's, there's friends I've, I've, I have seen, you know, in a socially distanced way or what have you since then, obviously. But there's some friends that I have not, I have just literally haven't seen since, since that day. We, all, we were all in the, the, the Irish centre after the game. 
and I had a moment where I, I thought, oh my God, you know, we all walked out of the Irish Centre a year ago. Bye, bye, guys, you know, and everything was like, hey, this COVID thing, cool, let's hope it's all all right, eh? And then we, that was it, with absolutely no idea that I wouldn't see some of those people for more than a year. I mean, that's not normal, is it? The newspapers on the morning of that Burnley game led with the story of the first Britain to die from COVID-19 and the number of cases reported was 20. On that Saturday, there was no real belief that the season would be postponed. Of course, as the days and weeks went on, the rumours and the news started to grow. But Newcastle still played West Brom in the FA Cup and then headed down to the south coast to face Southampton. And Thomas, who we'll hear from next, remembers that day down at St Mary's. I remember it being in the news, obviously, and I remember just before that game, it, it had been reported in the like the national newspapers where they discussed the idea that games could potentially be played behind closed doors, that, or even that the season could be void. Um, and I remember being told before the game, as I was going into the as I was going into the ground. That, that this was it. This was the last game. They're going behind closed doors, and it was it was a distinct possible, like a very very high possibility that this was going to happen. And I just couldn't quite believe it. And I told all my mates, and I was, and they were like, "Nah, this, this it can't happen. They can't they can't play football without fans." That that was that was the that was the opinion of everyone that I spoke to. We just it was just you couldn't comprehend that games could go ahead without the fans there. And it was strange. I remember. I remember when we scored. Obviously, everyone still goes mental. You're not thinking about COVID, but there was the standard um, lad who fell down on the stairs. I was right on the aisle, and um, there was a lad who fell over on the stairs. And I picked him up. Obviously, I grabbed his hand and I picked him up. And just for a, a brief second, I remember thinking, "Bloody hell! I hope he hasn't got COVID because I've just touched his hand." And you go to the, you go to the, the the toilet and everyone's just everyone was washing their hands and it's like and so it was just so it was quite a strange thing because you want times you go to a bloke's toilet at a match and you come out and there and no one's washed their hands and um, and it's just uh, just things like that's what it was playing on the mind you, you could see it in the pub um, but at the same time I don't think it was taken as seriously especially for me personally. Um, from a football point of view until they actually said, right, that's it. Because um, obviously that was the last game and when they finally announced it, it was, um, yeah, it was, that that was when it really hit home. It's mad to think that we were just days before in a in a crowded, in a crowded space. Big breaking news this morning. It's been confirmed all Premier League, Football League and Women's Super League games are cancelled. The COVID-19 crisis is deepening and we're hearing more players and staff members at clubs are coming down with symptoms. A statement just released says the shutdown will be until at least the 3rd of April and it'll be kept under constant review. Well, I'll always remember the date, 13th of March 2020. We'd been in to interview Steve Bruce in the morning because Newcastle were due to play at home against Sheffield United the following day. And I think when we were talking to Steve Bruce, it just became clear that people within football expected something to change. I think my first thoughts were that I took the virus a lot more seriously. It was something that seemed right it seemed fitting at the time um for you know how serious the virus was 
and it just in my own mind it was it made sense to to cancel the games and rather than play them without fans in attendance um, which is something that had obviously been in the news beforehand it's hard to comprehend that Newcastle have been playing without their biggest asset for so long the fans and that goes for the other teams in the Premier League as well who've been playing in front of empty seats and terraces of course some did have the luxury of turning out in front of their own supporters those clubs in the cities where the R number dropped and it was deemed safe enough to allow a small section of fans back into the ground. But a second wave of coronavirus put that to an end and the turnstiles have been locked ever since. Now the effects of this have been huge, not just on the clubs, but the mental health of fans. There's the charities which rely on match day collections and then we have the pubs, the hotels, the news agents, the shops. Their revenue has been hit so hard. And one man who has felt the impact more than most is Michael, the landlord of the world famous Strawberry, which sits just outside St. James's Park. To him, match day is essential. If you've ever been into the Strawberry just before kickoff, you'll know you can barely get moved. But with the lockdown, the pumps have not been pulled and Michael has really seen his business suffer. Thankfully, we're putting this podcast together and lockdown has eased. He now has people sitting safely on his roof terrace enjoying a pint. But the last 12 months have been very, very difficult. Can you just explain to me then what the last 12 months have been like for you, given that you've not had any match day kind of revenue, no fans coming in? <laughs> it's a difficult one to start. It's, it's been non-existent. Obviously, a lot of our business comes from um, match days sport, and with it not being there in the area, uh, obviously it's destroyed us. Nobody expected it to last as long. Obviously, when we initially got shut down, it was thinking, oh, this will be over and done, you know, in a few weeks, rather than it went on a lot, lot longer with obviously repercussions um, for the rest of the year as well. We're in work nearly every day. Uh, you know, we're doing stuff all the time. Um, but there's times when I've, I've gone in and there would be like an eight o'clock kickoff um, and it was a home game and there was there was nothing. And this was like playing, I don't know, Man United. And there was absolutely nothing on the street and it was a home match and it was eerie. Just how bad has it been? Um, was there ever a risk that, you know, it would get to the point where you guys, you know, would have to move on or close it down? I mean, how, is it, how has it been in terms of that? Well, initially, because our rateable value uh, is more than 51,000, there was no uh, grants available to us through the, the first lockdown. So we had all these bills to pay, um, you know, all the way through. The only thing we didn't have realistically was business rates and using as much as electricity and, you know, and um, BT and Sky sort of like suspended all their bits. But it was, the, the business was absolutely hemorrhaging. And with not knowing how long it was going to kind of continue on, we had a line and said, look, you know, when we get to this point, we've got to be realistic. Uh, and it continued like that. It's not as bad this time round, but we've, as a, as a business, as an independent, I mean, we've lost a lot of money. Money that we had uh, saved, put to one side, government loans. 
Um, you know, we've spent a lot more than we wanted to, to obviously keep the business afloat. But then you also got to that point where we've gone this far. There's no way I'm going to turn my back on this now. You've got to commit and, and head back into it. Just to kind of put some of the, the, the numbers in context, we think we've lost about 900 million in revenues to our uh, tourism and hospitality businesses over the last 12 months. My name's Ian Thomas. I'm Director of Leisure Tourism and Research at Newcastle Gates Initiative. It's, it's, it's heartbreaking. I think you look at some of the kind of um, business owners across the city kind of having to make some really um, hard decisions. And I think the, if you think about it, the, the kind of pubs and bars that are used by the fans, they tend to be the ones that have, have, have kind of over the years been the ones where kind of people have congregated either postwork or about the match it's more it's, it's that sense of community it's that sense of identity and um a really big part of the routine so i think um it, it is kind of really sad to see some of the, the businesses that unfortunately want them and i think the other challenge and it's been great we have seen obviously some some, some good support from, from the government around some of this but um unfortunately i think some of the great people that work in those businesses will 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 be the ones who lose out ultimately because while the business some of the businesses may survive, they will have had to make some hard decisions and, and some of those people will have lost their jobs. It's not just about that kind of time between three and, and five pm while they're in the stadium. It's it's what happens it kind of from 10 a.m. onwards in the city when there's um, as people start to come in, it's the impact on taxi drivers, it's the, the impact on bars, restaurants. And I think um, maybe what it has done is, is really focus the minds of, of people about how far that, that ripple goes. It's, it's, it's the news agents where people might pop in and buy the paper. It's, it's all of that things that form part of that, that match their routine. And I think that's where uh, maybe people hadn't realised how far that match day does go towards it, the whole economy. Listening to the struggles of a landlord like Michael, who runs one of the most visited and best-loved pubs in the city, if not the region, brings to life the stark reality of the impact of COVID-19 on the city's economy. And the numbers mentioned there by Ian put it all into perspective. More than £900 million lost from the city's tourism sector over the past 12 months. Now the value of a Newcastle United match day is put somewhere in the region of £24 million. That's £24 million every single home game, just wiped away over the past 12 months. It's a huge number to get your head around. But for many of you listening, the money doesn't really matter. It's not about what rolls through the tills of the pubs or into the hands of the taxi drivers. It's about the social aspect that a match day brings. That tradition that you've maybe been doing for years, passed down generation by generation. That social aspect, that familiar feeling that you get heading into your favourite boozer, whether it be one pint or half a dozen, a soft drink or a cup of tea. It's about being able to meet people. And having that removed, as so many of you have done over the past year, it's hard to deal with. And listening to the next gentleman, Davey, who's also known to many as Whistler, you can really get a true sense of what people have been missing. There's about five or six of us really close guys who go to the game. Before anything, the, the whole thing for me is the camaraderie. And the, if I can say, take the piss out of each other, meeting, having a few beers, having a laugh. You know, you build yourself up, you, you work your whole week, 
um, and then hopefully Saturday three o'clock you get in the bus or train 11 o'clock in the morning you get in for midday um, you know your mates are waiting there you're ready to walk in have the handshake have a cuddle whatever you want to do have a few beers with them stagger up the ground or whatever watch a game games inconsuate it, it, it's just you know, it's almost like the game means nothing sometimes and then you come out you go for your food have a few more beers and then you roll off home you know it means a lot an awful lot I'm 56 coming up 57 my whole life's been around football and obviously you know, I love my family. You know, football's a very, very close second to my family. Two lovely daughters and a beautiful wife. It's everything. It's everything to you. You know. It, it's surprising how much I miss it. Just being at the football, being in the stadium. Because I complain about, like most football fans, and I don't just mean Newcastle United. I think you know most football fans, you know, complain to you know the cows come home about the football or whatever it is. But not complaining is just so much worse. It's it's um, it's surprising. I think the the little things that you miss um, from not going to the match, and I think I think maybe. Um, People who don't go to the football regularly probably look at football and, and they, they, they see kind of football supporters as tribal and they see maybe the passion and the, all of that kind of thing. But what they maybe don't see if you don't go to the match regularly is the routine of it and the sense of community that uh, exists around match day and the people that you see and the the little match day rituals that you have and how all of that is such a positive in your life. Going to the game, going to the match, the people that you see, maybe you only see on a match day, that's that's really important. And uh, yeah, it doesn't matter, you know, it's nicer if you if you win 3-0 than uh, if, if you're not winning, but it doesn't alter the relationships that you have with, with people and how important that is. And I think that has come into stark relief this year. Another important element of the match day routine for many was a trip to the NUFC Fans Food Bank, which stood proudly outside the Gallagate come rain or shine. The volunteers in the high-vis jackets and the collection buckets became familiar faces for those fans who would drop off a fiver, tenner, some tin donations before making their way up to their seats. On an average match day, thousands of pounds would be raised, but without fans able to attend games, the charity has lost a major source of income. The next gentleman needs no introduction. It's Bill Corcoran, and he explains what the last year has been like for the NUFC Fans Food Bank. It's the most optimistic place in the world. It's Strawberry Place before we play football and there's still a possibility we're going to win and people smile at each other and, and there's that feeling in the air of friends and family coming together and uh, I, I said it before, I think it's like love sparkles in the air and you see it, you know, with the sunshine on, on Gallagher occasionally and uh, and we get that wonderful spirit from the people see, you know, every week and they give us a couple of tins of beans or, you know, lovely Nora uh, who's who's uh, she's a lady of senior year. She turns up with 50 Christmas cards or or some money or a handwritten note, and and she stays for a bit of a blether. And there's the there's the two big old English sheepdogs that bark like hell because their masters go on the march and they miss him. And uh, 
you know, we see the police horses and wave and, and there's all of that sort of stuff. Um, you know, there's the kids going to the match who come running across the street and try and buy an Easter egg that somebody's donated and we say, oh no, no, this is for the food bank and then they give us their pocket money and we're, we're in tears and, you know, there's, there's all that sort of stuff. It's just feeling that you're part of the community of football, the community of the city, the community of, of this region. Uh, now, of course, we don't have any of that, but they're still contributing online and they're still doing things. And so it still goes on and it's still there. And it's like something you can see, but not quite touch. It's just out of reach. And we're just waiting for lockdown to finish and then football to be safe. And of course, it ain't worth it until, you know, it is safe because people are dying out there. We, we typically raise £2,000 at the, the most we ever raised, I think it was about £6,000. That goes directly to the West End Food Bank. It allows them to buy food immediately, you know, pretty much from it, from when it's counted. And that has on, a, on occasion saved people um, from, from hunger. The reason that the Food Bank Collections is so successful is because of the spirit of unity of the people in this region. And it's the thing, you know, apart from when uh, Isaac Hayden scored the last minute goal against Chelsea, it's the sort of thing I miss about the day. Even even talking to my wonderful friends who I haven't seen for, for, for a year, you know, um, afterwards, it's the thing I miss above all. And, uh, you know, as I say, I, I don't want it to come back. I'd prefer that we don't have to collect for a food bank and uh, we can find other things to, to occupy our time. But... Uh, that camaraderie and spirit and, and seeing it as being the privilege of my life to be involved with. And it shows you that the people of the Northeast are capable of everything and anything that's good in this world. And uh, with them, we can look forward to the future with a bit of optimism. So we've heard about the impact outside of the ground, but what about inside it? Everything has changed for those who cover Newcastle United. Here at Chronicle Live, running out one reporter inside St James's Park, whereas before COVID-19, our team was made up of at least four or five others. For BBC Radio Newcastle, we've heard from Matthew Raisbeck, and he no longer sits with co-commentator John Anderson. Instead, they sit rows apart. And one interesting perspective I wanted to bring you was that of the photographer. They're still going into the ground and taking those important images that make it onto the front and back pages the next morning. I caught up with Owen Humphreys, who's been covering Newcastle United for well over two decades. Yeah, it's, weird. it's a weird one, really. Basically, we, we turn up for the game. We can go in an hour before the match, before we'd go in three hours before the match. And what we do is we get our temperature taken, make sure we've uh, got a, a COVID form filled out, and we're given a set position at the football, uh, which are now numbered behind the goal. Whereas before we could choose where we sat, so now we get one position and we stay there all game. Um, obviously, um, uh, socially distanced from the next person. Normally, with about one to three uh, people each side of the goal, and you know that that that's sort of you know we normally you'd be sitting you know six or seven deep photographers. We're now talking you know three photographers each side of the goal. Um, which is, is very strange, and you basically turn up at the game now and. 
and you, you do your job without much communication. It's not as enjoyable as it was. I mean, I am one of the lucky ones, so I don't want people to forget that, that it's still shooting sport. It's very strange, though, when you're taking photographs there because the, the ear, there's an eerie silence. Um, you know, you can hear every word. It, you know, the first couple of games, it was quite interesting, you know, listening to the players, you know, listening to the referee. You know, you could hear things that you never normally hear on the pitch. It was That was the new experience. But it was an eerie sort of, you know, it was like being... It was like being at a Sunday, Sunday league game, but with the echoes of emptiness around the stadium. Um, you know, that that was the first thing when I first came to a game with no fans, thinking I'm at a Premier League game here, and it's just, it's eerie because it's, you know, all you can hear is the players and the referees and the managers, uh, you know, echoing around the stadium, you know. And, and you know, you, you never you never could pick up on that before. I mean, you can hear every every word, you know. A lot of them, a lot of them wouldn't even get onto a, to a BBC match of the day, some of the words that are used, you know. Have you had a, had a moment when, you, when you've been, you've been working up at the ground and you've just kind of like taken a step back and gone, wow, like this is, this is proper surreal. Like this is just crazy. Yeah, I mean, I can tell you when that is. It's when you've got a man, you're sitting there in a mask and all that, and you've got a man in a completely head to foot white forensic suit with a mask on going around spraying all around you spraying the footballs with a bed backpack on full of disinfectant and you know you're sitting there and at half time and when the balls are cleaned and the posts are cleaned and you and, and you, you know you're sitting there with all your kit on, on the sideline no fans around and you see a man walking towards you spraying everything he can see with with the backpack of chemical you know i presume disinfectant on and that was when it sort of you're sinking in and you're just you know you're thinking crikey you know this is pretty serious stuff this what connects these stories is the loss of a match day the routine the chance to see friends and family and to cheer on Newcastle United as you've heard the impact on businesses and charities has been huge but there's a bigger impact here one that for many may still be hidden and that's the effect that lockdown has had on mental health during the first lockdown, the Newcastle United Foundation made over a thousand phone calls to people, reaching out to offer them a helping hand. 500 more were given mental health advice through the Foundation's Be A Game Changer campaign, and NHS staff were also helped. It's been a huge 12 months for the Foundation, as one of their members of staff, Oliver Bell, explains. It's been a journey, as I think everybody's been on a journey. We've had peaks and troughs, and, and I think in the earlier days it was novel, and, and everyone was kind of enjoying this whole working from home thing. Everyone was kind of uh, uh, dead keen to do things online, which was great. And I, I suppose from, from our point of view of the, of the Be A Game Changer campaign, and I hate to say it out loud, because I know that it's been, people have struggled massively from coronavirus, both financially through employment and unfortunately death as well. But the mental health campaign's gone from strength to strength, probably because we already had quite a nice foothold within the online community and online sphere and it kind of coronavirus and the pandemic meant that we were ready and able and ready to adapt and, and react to a bunch of people who had, whose lives had suddenly changed and they were they were on social media a lot more than what they were for example we spent a quite a while calling walk, some of our walking footballers, over 200 I think we called 220 of our walking footballers and checked in with them which kind of led on to more bodies of work with our walking footballers to the point where we are now, which is having, instead of having 
a couple of walking football sessions a week, we have what we call walking football talk sessions a week. So there's four of those. And, and that's basically just a Zoom call with some of our regular walking footballers to talk about some of the memories of football and, and whether that's at St. James's Park 50 years ago, whether that was just before the pandemic. But we also tend to integrate, or we've started to integrate well-being chats around those conversations as well. So it might be that we say, um, what's your memory of first memory of, of Newcastle United and, and how did that make you feel? And, and how do you feel now as a result of Newcastle United not being there? So it's this really interesting avenue of trying to integrate football within the mental health conversation. I guess just, just finally, just a message really to anyone who maybe has been struggling and hasn't yet reached out, um, you know, what would your message to those those people be? To be brave. It is a big step to take, although it really it's it's or it's a big brave step to take, but it, it's not something that um, it's too difficult to do. Once you've done it, you kind of you kind of realise, oh, hang on a minute, that wasn't as painful as what I thought. So, being brave in the first place and and accepting that you are not as happy as what you could be and and that you have been in happier places in the past and that it's okay that you're not as happy as as what you what you could be but there are definitely things that you can do to try and to try and make yourself happier and and that is reaching out as soon as possible and as early as possible because we know that the sooner and the earlier people reach out for support and the the sooner they get help the better they're going to be in the long term so it might be it might be that you just need to speak with a friend. It might be that you need to speak with a complete stranger. Sometimes people find it really, really quite useful speaking to strangers. And there are loads of support services out there. I know that something that I've come up against in the past are, are people being unaware of how much support there is out there. And that is one of the key messages of this documentary, that if you're struggling with your mental health, please do reach out. You can head over to the Newcastle United Foundation website where there's a list of resources who you can contact who will offer you the support and advice you need. It's also important to pay tribute to those who we've lost over the last 12 months. Those who took part in this documentary wanted to make it clear that while they've lost their routine of a match day, it bears no comparison to losing a loved one. Our thoughts and prayers go out to everyone who has lost a family member or a friend over the past year. With lockdown easing, it's a reminder though that the good times will return. We will one day be back on the Gallagher, singing, cheering, booing, enjoying every emotion that comes with a match day. We will one day be hugging our friends, shaking their hands and supporting our beloved Newcastle United. We will one day enjoy that pint before kickoff. We're now going to hear from everyone who you've heard already in this podcast about what they are most looking forward to doing, seeing, feeling, hearing on that first day back at St James's Park. It's that sight of the pitch. It's this, It's the green turf that you see when you walk up the stairs. Um, that's the bit I'm looking forward to. I'm not looking forward to crushing myself in the seat. I'm looking forward to, if we score, <laughs> you know, what it's going to feel like. There's going to be that thing when we just forget everything and uh, and there'll be that moment of unbridled joy and I'm looking forward to that. I am looking forward very much to sitting in my seat and looking around and seeing all of those people 
I'm really looking forward to to that. But mainly, I'm just looking forward to our, our seat in the Irish Centre and that little corner in the in the back at the top. Believe it or not, right? This may sound strange. Going up and giving everybody cuddle and shaking their hands and catching up with them. The team's coming out and then local hero, first few bars and the noise, fans coming in, taking their seats late because there's always some, um, just the, the general stir in the ground and then the roar at the end of local hero as the teams line up and are about to kick off. I think that's going to be really special. I'll probably shut up and say nothing because the crowd will will do that job for me. Hopefully, I think that will that will really come through and it will be really moving. And then a goal at the Gallagher end and the noise the fans will make. I think I think that's going to be really significant. You just hope that it's a, a meaningful goal. It's not a consolation in a bad result. That would be very Newcastle, wouldn't it? hearing fans back in the stadium and the other thing I'm looking forward to for me personally is my my little boy actually sits behind me and he's been going to the matches he's now six since he was two he's he's not missed a home game he's missed it and I want to see him go back because he, he loves it but you know not just him but just to hear the atmosphere again going at the bar seeing my mates ranting about what we've all been doing in the last God knows how long um, and that it's just that first do you know what it is I think I'll actually get emotional when that first time that I walk through the gates when I walk through the turnstiles I think that'll be that'll that'll really hit home when, how much I've missed it and you, you know you walk up it'll be it'll be almost like you're a little kid again and you walk up the stairs and you see the pitch it's just like about time that we're back you know can't imagine that it'd be it would be an emotional occasion and I just hope the uh, the game lives up <laughs> lives up to the the anticipation that will be beforehand. Thank you for listening to Newcastle United Season in Lockdown, brought to you by the Everything is Black and White podcast. Hosted and edited by me, Andrew Musgrove. And a special thanks to everyone who I spoke to and to BBC Newcastle and Metro Radio for allowing use of their content. Please remember to like and subscribe to the podcast. <laughs>